Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Welcome to Basic Folk, where we have honest conversations with folk musicians. I'm your host, Cindy Howes. Happy to be with you. And today, very excited to have on the podcast Izzy Helltie, who is a songwriter originally from Brookline, Massachusetts, now living out in Northampton in Western Mass. Before we get into what we talk about, let's thank our sponsors for Basic Folk. Basic Folk receives support from McDean, songwriters who love each other. McDean would be delighted to send you a free CD of their first EP, The Sampler Plate. Email lin at mcdean.co, lin at mcdean.co to get one. On Basic Folk, you hear honest conversations about how artists are journeying from point A to B. If you could use support and motivation on your journey, Life Coach Janet Forrest is there for you. Visit JanetForrest.com and mention Basic Folk and you'll receive 25% off your first month of coaching. Izzy Heltai is brave, curious, and charismatic about the world. Uh, in this podcast, he talks about how fortunate he is in life to come from and thrive in a really supportive community, which began for him in Brookline with immigrant mathematician parents, which is very interesting. Uh, Izzy is a trans man who has not yet talked about his gender at length in an interview the way that he so candidly does on this episode of Basic Folk, which is uh, something that I am really appreciative of his um, how careful he is in how he represents himself. I think this is a lovely and informative conversation about how uh, someone can find themselves comfortable with their lives. Um, he's someone who has a sharp sense of how to achieve that comfort and just is very excited uh, about life now, which is, is so refreshing to hear somebody come out such a hard time and be uh, so happy and vibrant about what life is going to be like. And I'm excited for his bright music career. Um, his voice is described as being kind of like grittied but honeyed with comparisons to tallest man on earth. Um, Izzy is first and foremost a songwriter and in, has an incredible eye for the beauty of life. So I hope you enjoy this wonderful person, his music, and our conversation. We'll hear a clip of Marching Song from Izzy Heltai's new EP, Only Yesterday, that just came out this year. And then we'll get to our conversation with Izzy Heltai on Basic Folk. Maybe I said I didn't want you Maybe I've been kind of difficult to talk to Maybe I shouted Maybe just stared Had it noticed If I Heltai. Yes. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Thanks for having me, Cindy. You grew up in um, Boston, in Brookline. Yes. What was your house like, uh, and how did growing up in, you know, Brookline is essentially like a city inside of Boston. Mm -hmm. 
how did that affect you being a city city kid? Being a city kid. Well, I uh it definitely I was definitely a kid that was always like the grass is always greener. Like I had so many fantasies of like having a forest in my backyard, which is just never something I had. Like I read a lot of um comics growing up and like Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, oh, I don't know yeah. if you ever read yeah, them, but yeah. you know how they were always in the forest and like there was somehow just like his backyard seemed to just be the woods. Mm-hmm. I always had a fantasy of having that and never had it because I lived in a city. Yeah. Um, but besides that, it was great. I mean, there was always like stuff to do and people in close proximity. So you saw a lot of kids growing up. But um, yeah, Brookline was great. It's like I was saying before, it's a little bit boring, but it was a nice place to grow up. I can't imagine Brookline being boring. I mean, uh, there's this great neighborhood in Brookline called Coolidge Corner that when I was in college we'd go to all the time with the coffee shops and movie theater. There was a video store back then that was pretty cool to like just walk around in. I had a friend who lived in Coolidge Corner, and his house was like kind of a mansion, but I think his parents got a good deal on it because um, it was formerly owned by a cult. What was the cult? I don't know. <laughs> but they've been living <laughs> there know. probably since like the, the 70s. Um, but... I like so when when I found out you lived in Brookline, I'm like, oh, you must live in like one of those cult mansions. <laughs> I wish we all lived in those. <laughs> um, no, I mean there are some beautiful old houses in that town, though, and I still go back all the time. A lot of my close friends are have families there. So your parents, your mom is Monica, and your dad is Blaze. Blaze. So I read that they were both mathematicians and immigrants and wanted to know a little bit more about that and what kind of parents they were like when you were growing up. Yeah. So both of my parents, yes, were mathematicians and they met at Stony Brook uh, doing their PhDs when they were in their 20s. It's a college. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Long Island. So my mother came here from northern Italy in her mid-20s to do her PhD. Um, and ended up in Long Island. So As she, one does. Yeah, right? So she, <laughs> to this day, though, like, still loves Long Island. And <laughs> and also has a, a funny love for the Jersey Shore as well, which is great. But anyways, so, uh, and then my father was there as well, and they met there. But he, so he came when he was much younger. He came from Belgium when he was 10 or 11, I want to say. And he moved to first Nyack, New York with his family, and then they went down to Charleston, as Hungarian Jews do when they immigrate <laughs> to this country. <laughs> South Carolina. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that's where my grandmother lived, and my aunt still lives there. Um, but my father moved up here to go to grad school. Uh, I grew up in a fairly intellectual family. Like, my sister was also in a PhD program for a bit, and now... She's in Manhattan doing publishing, but they're both incredibly supportive of what I'm doing, which has really been amazing. But I think uh, it was very much the mindset of, you know, they they came to this – well, my mother came to this country. My father was much younger, but, like, uh, they both the mindset of, like, they didn't come from much. I mean, better off than a lot of people, but – so just, like, work really hard so their kids could really do whatever they wanted to do, mm-hmm. which is incredible. But yeah, and so they it was very important to them that we took music lessons growing up because they didn't really do that when they were growing up. I mean, my father did a little bit, but my mom didn't really have access to that. Why do you think that was important to her for you to have that experience? I think it's maybe to have like the option or flexibility just to like have these tools in your suitcase kind of growing up where it's like you're in art classes or you're in music classes mm. just so you kind of have this creative outlet to expand your mind at that age, even if it's not what you end up wanting to go into. It's kind of great that she had that uh, foresight to I mean, obviously, like math and science must have been very important to both mm. of your parents, but also to have that foresight of like, oh, my kids also need art and music. Yeah. And that even like though they're they're very science minded, they're mathematicians, they um were very great about realizing that might not be what we wanted and just yeah, giving us the options to really pursue what we wanted to and be self motivated to figure that out. Do they have good social skills? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> kind of. 
For mathematicians, overwhelmingly, yes. <laughs> but they're still kind of awkward people. But those are the best. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, they're really wonderful people. I have a very close relationship with my parents. Have you ever considered life coaching? It's a thing that is happening. And I've got a great person to recommend to you. Janet Forrest, who you may have heard, sponsored at the beginning and end of Basic Folk. It's coaching by Janet Forrest. You can go to her website, JanetForrest.com. Myself, I've done some sessions with her and found that she is a great listener. She is a great person to hold you accountable and help you move forward in your professional life in order to be a happier and more positively functioning person in the workplace. I think that's a very powerful thing. A powerful gift is to be able to work with someone who you can say like, all of these frustrations are happening with me and Janet has the tools and the vocabulary to name what's happening to you and help you create a plan to move forward. JanetForrest.com to find out more. Mention Basic Folk, you get 25% off of your sessions. JanetForrest.com. What kind of music was being shared in your house when you were young and then what was like grabbing you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so from my father, a lot of blues like Stevie Ray Vaughan was one of my favorite people growing up and my dad was always playing like blues and then some Jimi Hendrix and like, you know, that era of guitar stuff. Um, but what really grabbed me was the music my mother was usually playing, which was the kind of like the women songwriters of the 60s, which she grew up with in Italy, which was very funny. Her and her best friend Guido would uh, show her these records of like Joan Baez and Joni Mitchell. And it was funny because they would go see operas together and they would listen to these like American <laughs> folk singers. And she was, I think, a awkward kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she's amazing. But so I grew up, yeah, like uh, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Judy Collins. There are a lot of songs because Judy Collins, you know, mostly arranged and like covered mm -hmm. artists. But there are a lot of songs that I grew up thinking were Judy Collins originals that definitely were not. Oh, no. <laughs> Must have been so confusing. Well, yeah, right. Because then I like would. You're like, wait, who's Leonard Cohen? Well, right. And then like <laughs> Leonard Cohen was a big one for us, too. We love Leonard. Bob Dylan, I love, but we are definitely a Joan Baez family. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, there's a big, <laughs> there is drama. There's a divide. Oh, yes. Um, my mother's actually heading to New York to see Joan today. Oh, great. Great. So she's very excited because I think she's playing tomorrow. Oh, man. She's a good live show. She is incredible. There was one very lucky month of my life where I saw her twice in three weeks in two different cities. Oh, wow. Yeah, in Burlington and then in Charleston. But anyways, to this day, those are some of my favorite artists still. Like my mother and I still have very similar music tastes, which is amazing because we go to a lot of concerts together. But yeah, so Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Carole King, Tapestry is, I think, the best album Listeners, ever you cannot see the hand gesture that Izzy just made, but Car he said Carole King and then put like a... Carol King with like a I can't even explain it like what does that hand gesture mean like, like wait guys it's, like it's a, it's a, you put a hand up in the air and you're like, like Carol King it's wait this yes uh talk about your relationship with your sister it seems pretty special yeah <laughs> um my sister is she's just a very incredible kind of powerhouse of a person and She's the person that definitely kind of like taught me how to listen and ask questions and also how to open up to people. There was just – I think there was a very um, – I think in my teenage years, I was kind of resistant to talking about a lot of things um, just because I'm sure stuff we'll touch upon later. But there was a lot going on and, and she was very much like – I remember her strategy and she's expressed this to me and I always thought it was very funny. She's just like – I was just – she was like, you weren't ready to talk about anything. So I was like, I'm just going to tell you about everything. So you have a guide to show you what talking looks like. Oh. <laughs> so she's like, I'm just going <laughs> to tell you as much as possible until you feel comfortable to talk. Did it work? Yeah, it did. Wow. 
and it. Uh, did like, you just get sick of her talking about herself all the time? Yeah, you did. Well, she doesn't talk about herself that much uh, <laughs> either. It, it's just like it was just kind of like she was going to share parts of her life until I felt comfortable enough to start talking about mm. mine, which I think is a very nuanced way of getting someone to open up to you just because it's like if you want someone to feel comfortable around you you should make them feel like you feel comfortable around them and mm. it kind of elicits a deeper connection and i don't know but yeah and then she's also an incredible question asker and listener and a very smart woman and also like was a wonderful role model growing up queer she from a young age was pretty outspoken about it and so it was great for me to have that mm. as well especially as a young kid yeah this is a good time i think to maybe talk about being trans yeah would you mind sharing your journey with your gender transition yeah i guess um it's i got so lucky in so many ways um i mean i don't think being transgender in this world we live in is ever going to be easy for someone but you know i have a an incredibly supportive family and a close relationship with them now that is unfortunately not the case for a lot of people that are this way but um yeah i came out as trans when i was pretty young so i was around like 14 15 you know you were 14 how long had you realized that i was trans yeah there's obviously no one path for someone to figure out their gender identity or figure out what feels comfortable to them. But mine was, as far as being outside of the binary, pretty binary, where it's like I do feel comfortable being a masculine-presenting person that, like, falls in line with a lot of what people think a man is. Mm -hmm. So it was, like, a clearer path for me. I guess it wasn't so concrete to me in that way where it's like, you know, because when when you're a small child, a lot of us, you kind of, there are a few years in your life where you kind of grow up without a concept of what gender is, right? Because you're young, it's not really that important yeah, yet. Yeah, figuring stuff out. Yeah, and also it's like since gender is a construct, it's really what gets instilled in us in later years that really solidifies these boundaries mm -hmm. um, for people. When I was a young, young kid, I just lived my life and my parents were supportive of just like whatever I wanted to do, however I wanted to dress, the sports I wanted to play, like I could just do it. And then when you get into like, you know, the early teenage years when things start, boundaries become more way more solidified between mm -hmm. genders. Um, I was starting to acknowledge that there was a comfort that I acknowledged, like I saw a lot of people around me having just inherently that I never felt like I had, which was kind of nuts because it's like just when you normalize a certain amount of discomfort or like something being off in your life, when you realize that not everyone feels, moves through life th that way, it's weird. And I don't know if that makes so much sense, but it's just like I moved through my life not realizing that the lacking I felt in like the lining up of my identity with how the world saw me. Like I thought that was just normal and that's how people right. lived. Right, like if you have like a broken arm and... You're just like, this is normal. Yeah, I just don't have one arm <laughs> right. all the time. But then you're like, oh, well, I see these people experience. I act like I actually identify that these people probably move about the world much differently mm. and that they do feel whole in a way. And then what was that process like of coming out? Um, it was a lot about, yeah, finding vocabulary. Um, Do you have any kind of mentor? No. I wish I was more vocal about it when I was younger and less set on doing it on my own because I think it could have been a lot easier for me. Do you think you, was it out of fear that you did it on your own or you just were stubborn? I think I have a problem asking for help, but I think uh. a lot of people do. <laughs> it's just 
coupled like with me talking about being transgender, like has to be a conversation of also the privilege, like the amount of privilege I had to grow up in a town in Massachusetts that is like pretty liberal um, with parents that it wasn't perfect from the beginning by any means, but they were willing to learn and understand. And um, I was just very fortunate to have that. And that made a lot of other things very not easy, but a lot easier than they could have been. Because it's like when you are a teenage kid trying to advocate for yourself, unfortunately, people don't want to give you agency. But if you're a teenage kid with the with the backing of adults and a backing of a team, mm. people will take you much more seriously when you are like, no, I know this is what I want and need to feel comfortable in the person I am. Like I said, I also had my sister who was an incredible support and was also like, you know, was versed in like the queer scene in Boston and like... Is she older than you? Yeah, she is. Yeah. So she's three years older than me, I want to say. Great age separation. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it was really, really perfect. And um, so she kind of could help guide my parents in a way because she had a lot of vocabulary which also helped me because there were a lot of things I didn't know mm. um, where are you now in the world of being a trans man well I you know I love being transgender and I love being part of a queer community and I uh, live in a part of western mass that is very queer I live in Northampton um, I don't know if you've been, oh, you're yeah. familiar <laughs> <laughs> um, a little, little gay out there. A little bit. But it's kind of it's it's kind of hard because I'm trying to toe the line. Of, it's like I am really at the beginning of this career of uh, being in this music world and like kind of figuring out when the best time to talk about it is. Um, if it is now or if I should like wait a little bit because it's also it's like there's a – a lot of nuances that come with being a cis-passing white sort of straight trans guy that it's like I want to be vocal but also acknowledge that there are a lot of communities that are in a way more marginalized than I in the queer community. Um, this is not the right way of putting this. Um, God, this is so tough. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Um, I I feel um, so appreciative of you being willing to talk about this, and then also like appreciative of letting me like know what, what your boundaries are and your comfort level. You know, that's that's all I'm concerned about, and want you to know that this is like, I think you uh, what you're doing right now is like an incredible service and a gift to tell us about you know, how you walk through the world. So you don't have to apologize. All right. Thank for you taking so your much, time. Cindy. Sorry. <laughs> I just, yeah, I think I have the hard time finding the words sometimes. Yeah. But um, ask your question again. I'm so sorry. I'm interested in a couple of things when it comes to, you know, how you walk through the world, um, like where you are in your gender identity now. And if you have uh, a sense of like, what it's like to experience like privilege mm -hmm. in a way that maybe you wouldn't experience had you not undergone this transition. Yeah. So it's like now I, obviously your listeners cannot see me, but I walk through this world and have, I'm pretty aware I am a fairly cis-passing transgender man who presents fairly masculine. So I read as straight. So I experience this amount of privilege that is just like, you know, the top tier in this country. Um, with this backing of kind of a marginalization, so a little more of an awareness, I think with that comes a nuance of how I talk about it visibly. There has to be an acknowledgement where there are all these factors in my life that give me a huge amount of privilege in comparison to a lot of people in the queer community. But then also being like, well, because of that, when I do talk about it, there are people that will give me more agency because they see me as a white man. Mm -hmm. And so then with that is a responsibility to, I think, 
talk about it when it's appropriate. So it kind of opens up the conversation for more mar marginalized individuals to be listened to. Um, because I think that's important. I think knowing my privilege within this marginalization is really important. Um, and I think it's also been hard because it's really hard and scary to introduce the topic as someone who just, you know, wants to be a singer songwriter. And then it gets more complicated when I'm like, well, then when I start being visible in a more, I guess, transparent and vocal way, what does that mean about my touring life or where I can go safely? Because now I feel safe going everywhere. Yeah. And that is not the case for most people. And right. it's just, it's wrapped up in so many things. Yeah. I think people who pass as straight people, like who, you you know, you don't exactly see the otherness of them. Like I'm thinking about when I'm with my girlfriend and someone calls us friends, like, do I correct them because it's important yeah. to me that they understand who this person is? Or do I just like let it go because I don't want to I don't want to like have that conversation with this stranger and you just never know if you're going to be safe or not. Yeah. No, I agree completely. And it's just because then there's also the juxtaposition where it's like I could say like, right, I could choose like in I mean, it's a different situation, but like I could choose to in cases like that where it could go one way or the other. I'm in a place I don't know if I'd be safe or I can I can choose to be vocal about it. You know, because it's like people couldn't, could not be okay with it and it could put you or me or anyone in this position in a dangerous position. Mm -hmm. Or there's also what happens to me a lot is people that may not normally be okay with it are okay with it or understand a little more because I am still kind of a palatable version of what they want a man to be. Mm. Where it's like queer people that present outside of a standard binary like maybe a trans guy that presents less masculine than me or does not pass as cis for whatever reason because they're you know there's a lot of ways to be trans it's like i also then have that privilege of like people taking me more seriously because i present mm. even though i'm transgender still present in a comfortable masculine way um so complicated it is very complicated <laughs> and also has been why especially so early on in my career why i'm like pretty hesitant or like don't really talk about it yet because mm. i'm still really trying to figure out how i want to present it to the yeah, world it's still like it still is so new to your long you know knock on wood long life yeah. you know what does being a man mean to you I don't know. It's at this point, it's like, um, I don't know. My gender identity has just taken so much of a back burner to the rest of my life just because I am so lucky and able to just be comfortable in it every day that I don't have to think about it anymore, right? Because there was a time in my life where it was all I thought about and just getting day to day was hard and not so apparent if that was going to be the case. Mm. Being a man to me, I mean, it's just, I don't know if I have a big answer. It's just how I feel comfortable in the world. Like I said, I have the privilege of not really having to think about it anymore, which, you know, is incredible and in, in why it's kind of been why I've been so obsessed with just making music my life and like these other passions because there was a big time in my life that it just felt that everything was out of my hands. And that the only thing I could ever think about was this one facet of my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm out of that, I'm like just so excited. I get to pursue other things that I'm like, I'm going to work as hard as I can. Do you feel a sense of loss for your former self? No, I, I don't think there was any sort. I don't know if I, I, I will answer this. I don't know if I want this included in the podcast, though. Just because I don't talk about it offline. <laughs> well, just because I don't know. Like I said, just because I'm so not versed in the language of best how to talk about it and haven't figured it out. 
Um, I can answer for myself, but I think there's like a lot more complications if I don't think through specifically what I'm saying. Like I don't want to make people feel isolated or like because mm. I can just speak for my experience. But um, no, I don't feel lost because I mean I'm just I'm growing. I got to grow more into myself. You know, it's I don't know. It's like because I uh, it's it's right. It's also this thing. It's like. It's not so directly related, but the the same sentiment of like, oh, like I was born in the wrong body. I wasn't like I was like I, I've been told for years I was in the wrong body, but I'm not. I'm in the body I was born into. Mm. I just got to grow into a form that made me feel comfortable. It's just the, the rest of the world that told me it was wrong. Does that make sense? I don't want to be saying so much mumble jumbly stuff. Because I, yeah, I just need to figure out in general how I want this part of my life to manifest itself in my career, mm -hmm. which doesn't like I, and I mean, I'm super happy to talk about it. Yeah, just I guess this is part of like me finding these situations where I do feel comfortable talking about it visibly is part of the process of me figuring out how I want it yeah. to manifest itself, I guess. Yeah. And so I'm trying to do it more and more because I want to get used to it. On the other hand, where it's like, I'm sure, you know, just like not getting pigeonholed for my marginalization, which is a fear I think any marginalized person experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think being a woman is a marginalized thing. So uh, how often do you participate in like women only this or mm -hmm. women only that, you yeah. know? Right. And then on the other hand of that, me not talking about it also kind of shuts me off from a great community and also opportunities that are held for marginalized people in my situation mm -hmm. and also the opportunity to help somebody else exactly that's huge yeah i think so let's go back to how you first came to the guitar when you were 12 how did you actually physically get to the guitar and what made you want to play it yeah i think it was like i was playing classical piano up to that point i was taking lessons with a wonderful russian teacher who comes to my gigs now, which is very exciting. It's, it's like so cool. the highest esteem when like an incredibly technically proficient musician from your childhood is like, you're doing a good thing. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. Anyways, her name is Vera. She's wonderful. So I grew up taking classical piano lessons and hated practicing. I was like a teacher's worst nightmare because <laughs> I really just wanted to do my own thing. Um, and I always loved being around lessons. I mean... I always loved being around music mm -hmm. <laughs> and in that way, but I hated practicing what they gave me. So when I was like 12 or 13, I was like kind of your classic rebellious kid. And I'm like, I want to be a rock star. I don't want to play classical music. I want to play the guitar. And so my dad got me those starter electric guitar packs. I started taking music lessons in Brookline with a great teacher who was my teacher until I left the Boston area. It's at the John Payne Music Center, which is right in Brookline. And yeah, it was definitely because I wanted to be a rock star. And the first songs I learned were definitely Green Day songs. <laughs> and then... Wait, which Green Day? Which Green Day songs? Dookie, oh. probably, right? No, um, it was Good Riddance. I think Good Riddance is like the classic first song, right? Do you remember that one? It's like... Da -da 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 I do know it. Yeah. <laughs> From that, that mm -hmm. description. Um, and then as I started kind of progressing in guitar, I was also not practicing any of the theory I was given and really realized I just wanted to be learning songs. And I had a great teacher who kind of, after the course of a couple of years, learn to be flexible with me because <laughs> I was pretty stubborn. She met you where you were. <laughs> yeah. And I just started, he was just like, just bring in the songs you want to learn and we'll learn them. And so and then I really just kind of started using these lessons as a catalyst to inform my songwriting and learn just more folk songs because that's all I've ever wanted to do is just songs. Right. I messed up the, I mixed up the gender between your piano teacher and your guitar teacher. Oh, that's <laughs> totally okay. As we're learning, gender doesn't matter is <laughs> what all of this is really coming to. Um, so you began performing out in high school to, at open mics. Um, how did you take to performing? Oh, I was not great <laughs> to begin with. Um, I think, 
if I knew how bad I was, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it. Um, but I just, I guess I just like figured out that I just loved it so much. And I loved writing songs. I've always loved writing songs. I mean, since I was a teenager, I started when I was like 14 or 15. What is it about writing songs? I don't know. I just, I don't think a lot of things come easy to me or second nature. And for some reason, songwriting just always is kind of came. And like wordplay and words have always been really important to me. And I think it's so clever what songwriters are able to do and what you can do with words in the context of putting them to melodies. And so I guess I always just thought it was so cool. And I, and I don't mean to say I was any good, like it, it was inherent to me as I was like good when I started doing it. I wrote a lot of really bad songs when I was a teenager and also still do. But I guess it, it is something that felt more comfortable than any other thing in the world. I love that. I love, um, you know, when you say songwriting felt comfortable to me and then when we were talking earlier about your gender how you like felt uncomfortable until you did feel comfortable so can you talk a little bit more about your relationship with like finding that relief and that comfort in your life mm-hmm. I mean just in general not in terms of anything yeah specific. absolutely no and I think it's just like it is why I am trying to make this my life because it just I can't think of any other words except that it just makes me psyched. Like, it's just like when you find that and when you figure out you can live in this state that's not not even like elated joy or like misery, but it's like somewhere in between where it's just like comfort. It gets me so excited. That could be my life is just like so cool to me. Mm. That's great. I just feel like just in having a... um I think a lot of people deny themselves that feeling and you are somebody who has kind of like gone after it and maybe your sense of comfort is like a little bit sharper than mm-hmm. others because you really seems to like follow your follow your arrow so to speak so the fact that you have decided to be a songwriter and a performer and to like basically like show everybody what your heart looks like and that's like just it's like a huge gift to give to people your sense of being a human is like sharp so it's perfect Mm -hmm. the the path that you've chosen just from our conversation yeah you know there was a, a large part of my life where it was like I just felt like I had no control in finding that comfort or that everyone just I was told by a world what my life was going to be that it's like when I figured out I could feel that sense of wholeness and comfort I'm never not going to be proactive about keeping that Mm. or finding more comfort in my life I think that's like unusual in humans Mm -hmm. so you're a good you're a good egg You're, (laughs) you're a good example well thank you Cindy sure I read that you're fascinated by children's book illustrations and fantasy. If you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe if that plays into your music or your writing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just very much like a story guy. I I, I still read. I love stories. I love children's stories. I just think anything that kind of takes us out of reality that way is like super magical and like so fun. I uh, still read a lot of young adult fiction as well as children's stories and, like, watch cartoons. I basically am a big kid. And why I, like, love being a songwriter, it's like you are in a world with some of the best storytellers ever. And it's so cool. Who's the best? Who's the best? Song uh, Storyteller? Well, I have a very – okay, so some people you've had on your podcast are actually some of my favorite. Like, uh, Anais Mitchell is just, like – one of, Where does she come from? One, right? Yeah. It's just like such incredible stories and the wordplay that goes along in those songs. It's just like crafts just such a cool experience. Um, a dear friend of mine, Ben Bedford, is a songwriter out of central Illinois. But he uh, writes a lot about like historical stuff. And it's very funny because he looks a lot like Abe Lincoln and writes about history. And he's from Illinois. And he's from Springfield, Illinois. 
Wow. Um, and so he's very funny about being like, I keep trying to get pigeonholed as the Abraham Lincoln guy, but I'm not. <laughs> it's not working. But yeah, so he writes a lot of kind of historically centered songwriting concept albums and very deep stories. And I've just always loved storytellers. Can we talk a bit about mental health? Yeah. On your EP, Only Yesterday, you write about your struggle with self-worth and depression. And here's a quote from you. It says, I've always had a very tumultuous relationship with my mental health. It goes in waves. And a lot of this record is dealing with your relationship and often negative relationship to yourself affecting the way you show up for other people. So yeah. What's going on there? I think, like I talked about earlier, a lot of my motivations behind, I think, pursuing this career path so full-heartedly or trying to this early on in this stage of my life, it's that I am just excited and, like, psyched. And it's, like, right um, when I found that comfort, I was, like, I I never don't want to be proactive about pursuing what feels good and what is good. So it's, like, a lot of, like, dealing with depression and anxiety and because it goes in waves and I think anyone with issues with mental health can relate where the bad is really bad but when it's good it can be really good and it really teaches you to appreciate those moments that are good and live in that good a lot of these songs come out of those moments that are really good and then also discuss talking about what it's like knowing this is what the good is when it's not that so acknowledging that and living in when things feel good, but also being very afraid and knowing that it could switch at any moment. And it's not, you know, it's obviously not always so like staunch like that. Like mm -hmm. it's a switch that's flipped, but you know, it's day by day, right? Yeah, for sure. Can you talk about your connection to Western Mass? Yes, I I he, I feel like in this I've just in this interview I just talked about how excited I am about things because Western Mass like I am super excited about Western Mass. And I think it's just the fact it's like yeah, I lived so much of my life not excited about being the person I was that now I'm like I get to be excited about all these really cool things. And one of those places like I just love where I live. Um I was living in North Adams, Massachusetts for four years. I went out there for undergrad and like since I was 18, I just kind of fell in love and just stayed out there. Was um, it just coincidental that that's where you ended up for school? Yeah. I went to a cheap, small option. <laughs> and so that was like my criteria. Uh, I went to Mass College of Liberal Arts and that's in the Berkshires. Um, in northern Berkshire County. And yeah, it was a total coincidence. Um, and I just found an incredible community of artists. And it was a lot of people that had graduated from where I went to undergrad before I got there. And so they were just living in town. And a lot of my friends when I first moved out there were living in this one big kind of decrepit Victorian house on a street called Quincy Street. And that house still has a lot of people I love living in it. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I think the first summer I lived out there, there were eight of us in this house and I lived in the closet, um, but it was a luxury closet. You could fit a twin size mattress and there was a window. Wow. That was my mother's biggest concern. She was like, but is there, you can live wherever you want, but is there a window? <laughs> but anyways, so I moved out there when I was 18 and lived in a closet my first summer out there and it's fairly cheap to live out there especially compared to a city so it allowed me to do nothing but play music for that summer which was amazing and yeah I just fell in love with a small town community like you said like I grew up here I grew up as a city kid um, fantasizing always about living in a rural or small town where it's like you walk down the street and you don't have to make any plans because everyone you know is at that one bar you walk down the street and like you just say hi to most of the people that walk by because you know them and that's what I got there and I love it because I just love community mm. a lot um all right one more question and then we'll do the lightning round oh oh god <laughs> um 
In your bio, it says you live a simple and nomadic life. What does that mean? I think it's to try to make this work for me, especially this early on in my career full time. It's kind of been useful to shed any like expectation of small luxuries. Like it's like I, you know, hopefully in the next two to three years can just live in a van and be traveling Mm. because that's all I really want to be doing. But as of now, it's like I kind of try to I have an apartment, but I try to spend my summers pretty nomadically. And I've been doing that since I was. Is it that you couple summers try to cultivate a lack of attachment to things? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like really what brings me most pleasure is just being on the road all the time and making those different connections with people and seeking out these situations that you wouldn't necessarily get when you just live in one place all the time. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I got I do have to figure out what that line means more <laughs> um, because people really like to hold on to the, the, the term nomadic. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been able to fully do that for myself yet. In the winters, I'm still very much here. This past year, I've been. But it's like I really try to make my summers up around just traveling. And mm-hmm. it's like I sleep in my car most of the time. I like don't really like to worry about sleeping situations mm-hmm. um because I, I i think i generally like to be especially as a songwriter like i love being alone on the road and i like to be independent so i don't like to rely i mean you meet the kindest people when you're out there and like really realize the capacity of generosity humans have but i like to be kind of self-sustaining and self-contained um like a cowboy like a cowboy that's cool um cool all right so You can hang out for a second, and then we'll come back and do the lightning round. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Basic Folk is brought to you in part by Tina and Her Pony, a queer duo bringing traditional Appalachian music and vocal harmonies into the 21st century. Visit tinaandherpony.com. Basic Folk is supported financially and emotionally by motivational life coach Janet Forrest. Janet works with individuals with big dreams who need support and accountability to get moving, Visit JanetForrest.com to learn more. Mention Basic Folk and you will receive 25% off your first month of coaching. And thanks to WIUP in Indiana, Pennsylvania, which airs Basic Folk 2 p.m. Eastern every Saturday. You can listen on 90.1 if you're in the Indiana, PA area or at their website, WIUPFM.org. All right, you ready for the lightning oh, round? Oh, God, I'm very scared. Cindy. Okay. <clears throat> It's very simple. Okay. Just like one word, one sentence answers. Here we go. Dogs, cats, or something else? Dogs. What is your coffee order? Black. Favorite U.S. city? Chicago. Favorite teacher and why? Oh, her name is Miss Harris. Um, She always sang songs in class. And now I see her sometimes and she's great. What uh, grade did you have her? Fourth grade. Fourth grade. And she's, okay, she's also one of those teachers I had, um, and this has happened a decent amount in my adult career now, where I realize how queer my favorite teachers were. (laughs) (laughs) Wonder why. (laughs) Wonder why. Um, First album you bought with your own money. Oh, can I do first album I was given? Mm -hmm. I was given Revolver, and my sister was given Rubber Soul as her two first CDs. And I was really mad at her because Revolver is awesome, but Rubber Soul is the best album ever. Wow. Definitive. What is your dream collaboration? My dream collaboration. Leonard Cohen. It's not possible. <laughs> That's why it's a dream. Um, favorite type of white noise? Your face right now. <laughs> I have never been asked this question. Uh... Jungle noises? Monkeys? Great. (laughs) Beatles or Rolling Stones? Beatles. Morning person or night owl? Morning. How many stickers are on your guitar case? Oh, I'm a new sticker person, so not that many. I think there are like six, but I'm trying to build up. For a long time, I didn't think I was a sticker person, but now I'm starting to be. What's your favorite sticker? Oh, I have a Pete Seeger quote on it. I think it's it's the one about fascists. This This machine? Yeah, this machine. fascists. Fascists. Gibson or Martin or Fender? Martin. Gender reveal or wait to find out? Neither. Gender doesn't exist. Love it. Uh, (laughs) Flying or invisibility? Oh, flying. What would you do? (laughs) 
flying. Duh. Right? <laughs> when you when you dream about flying, what is your flying process like? Oh, like what? Like when you're, you know, you have flying dreams. Like how do you do it? I think it's like you just kind of like, they can't see what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep wanting to act it out. You almost I, did like a rocketeer thing. Yeah. So you like rocket up and then you start gliding. What about yours? I think it's run and jump. Whoa. See, I didn't even think. I think in my mind, I was just like, no, the way I think about it is just how it happens. So I didn't even <laughs> think there were other options. Uh, what is a random fact I might not know? I had an English bulldog growing up named Winnie. And my father for my 16th birthday painted me a portrait of her. Do you still have it? Oh, absolutely. It's so sweet. Uh, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. What's for breakfast? Uh, fruit and cereal. What's the most beautiful place you've ever visited? The town my mother grew up in, in the Alps. It's um, called Pergine or Pergine Valsugano, but it's in a region called Trent. It's in the northeast of Italy, and it used to be Austria-Hungary, and it's just the most breathtaking mountains in the world. Izzy Heltai, you have completed the lightning round. Oh, my God, yes. Thank you so much. Anxiety. <laughs> yeah. How is your anxiety level? Well. 11 <laughs> out of 10. This has been really great. I, I really appreciate it. It's been a privilege to talk to you. Of course. Thanks for having me, Cindy. This means a lot. Izzy Heltai, what a great person. You can find show notes at cindyhouse.net. I will uh, put... A link to a video and his latest EP titled Only Yesterday. Uh, just was so wonderful getting to know him um, during our conversation. And thanks a lot, Izzy, for just being so wonderful. Laura McCarthy produces Basic Folk. Lindsay Myers is our business manager. Alex Stanton of Townspeople did our music. I'm Cindy House, and I host it, Basic Folk, a podcast. Thanks for listening all the way through to the end. You are such a dedicated fan. And while you're at it, if you want to join the Basic Folk Basics Facebook group, please do so. And you can also sign up for our email newsletter, cindyhouse.net. That's about it. Okay, talk to you later. Bye.